Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back into the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. That's right, we're a daily podcast now. I am your host for this day, Andy Behrens. Pleased to be joined by Chris Raybon. This is actually, I was, I was thinking about it um, right after I asked you to be on the show, Chris. Uh, I don't think that we've had like an in-person conversation that wasn't like super shouty and at a bar late at night. So <laughs> we'll see how this goes when we're both lucid and uh, theoretically have it together. Um, Chris, if you don't know, is at Chris Raybon on Twitter. Uh, you may know him as an analyst and an editor at Action Network. He's the co-host of the Action Network Sports Betting Podcast, which is an award-winning show. He's a weekend host on Sirius XM, and he is one of the most accurate fantasy football rankers in our entire racket. I believe he's got a he's got a trophy there on the shelf behind him for his rankings accuracy. What's up, Chris? What's going on, Andy? Uh, I don't think you're the first person to tell me that about the uh, never having a conversation <laughs> outside of... Uh, kind of hazy bar late at night, but uh, you know we're changing that now, and I'm excited to uh, to talk to you about some fantasy. I feel like it's really your element. Like you're good by day, but man, if you catch Raybon at like midnight, a few drinks in, like <laughs> the the hot takes, which are normally pretty spicy, just they really come out. <laughs> oh yeah, you know I come alive in the nighttime, but uh, we're recording this. What is it like noon? So uh, we'll see how this goes. I might be. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I <laughs> I've never experienced you in the light of day. I don't think, and I've certainly never experienced you at noon. So we'll see how it goes. Um, but your your stuff is always great. And Thank you. I, you you sent out a couple of tweet storms not that long ago that really really made me uh, want to have you as a guest on the pod. We'll get to some of that content in a sec. But first of all, I just want to sort of open up with. Your general thoughts on a year like this, we're not going to have a preseason. We're not going to have a preseason of any kind. There will be no opportunity uh, for rookies who needed to sort of plant a flag in the preseason to make any noise whatsoever. Um, we're not going to, theoretically, in a lot of in a lot of arenas, we're not going to have home field advantage with fans. Um, it's going to be a really weird year, and it's going to be a weird run-up to the year. So I, I'm wondering what sort of what sort of changes, what sort of reservations you have? What, what are the implications uh, in your mind for, for both uh, betting and for season-long fantasy? Well, I think the first thing that people need to do is to not generalize because the one thing I see happening is, okay, we don't, we don't have preseason. We don't have much of a camp. Uh, rookies are going are gonna to struggle. And then people take that as fade every rookie or – you know, we hear, okay, home field advantage isn't going to be as great. And then people take that as, okay, well, now I'm betting on every road team. Well, you know, home field advantage might go down from like three to 2.75 or something like that. And yeah. uh, you could see 50% or 75% of rookies struggle, but will every rookie struggle? Will there not be a rookie that could probably win you your league? Probably, you know, that that's unlikely. So um, I think that's the first thing, but overall, I think you do have to watch it a little bit with rookies that you're kind of projecting for a certain spot in the depth chart that maybe aren't there yet. Like I think a good example of that was in Tampa Bay where Kashawn Vaughn, once he got drafted was immediately kind of slotted in, in people's minds as uh, their weed back or, or at least kind of their, you know, 50, 50, one, a one B with Ronald Jones. And we kind of see that, you know, Bruce Arians not, not going to be as comfortable with a rookie, especially with Tom Brady, they signed with Sean McCoy 
after Vaughn goes on the the COVID list, and now it really doesn't look good for Vaughn. Uh, he could even be a you know the four string back. He could be a healthy scratch yeah. um, because you have Agun Bawale, who uh, I think is going to factor in on pass downs. All we've heard are things that suggest that uh, you know Vaughn is the odd man out. We hear Jones is going to be the lead back. We hear Agun Bawale is going to be a factor. We see them sign McCoy, so you do have to kind of pay attention to the organization. Um, and, and the signals they're giving you. And I think also always keep in mind that in, in certain cases, and this is a larger point, I don't think it's just to do with the pandemic, but th- the coaching staff and the front offices aren't always on the same page. So like in Green Bay, for example, I think um, the fact that they go out and draft A.J. Dillon, the, the fact that they go out and draft Jordan Love, uh, that's the, that's the you know, Gutenkust in the front office. I don't necessarily think that means that Matt LaFleur wants to bench Aaron Rodgers or Matt LaFleur wants to, uh, you know, take carries away from Aaron Jones for, or even Jamal Williams, for example. Right. Um, so you got to kind of think about the organization um, and, and kind of the hierarchy there as well when you're trying to figure out these, these things. But overall, uh, I would say don't generalize is the biggest is the biggest point because I see too much of that, and I think you're gonna get you're gonna win a lot more leagues by thinking different. You're gonna win a lot more bets by um, you know kind of thinking you know independently and not generalizing. Vaughn might be. Man, Vaughn is a great name to throw in this because I like I can off the top of my head, I can't think of a player whose draft stock has taken more of a hit in fantasy circles without ever having played a snap. Right. Like we've seen none of him. Um, There's been there. We haven't even had camp yet. Um, He's not hurt. He's on the covid list, but he's not like there was no injury here. There's no nothing here. Um, And his value went from, oh, yeah, he's a locked in starter for the Bucks to. Uh, maybe maybe he's fourth on the depth chart. Maybe he's a special teamer. Um, let's see. Uh, I, I've, I've hardly ever seen it. What do you make of teams like, so Carolina is an example of this. Like Carolina has new everything, everything, anything that matters, new quarterback, new coordinators, um, new, new head coach, new terminology, new everything. Like we all love Christian McCaffrey. We all love DJ Moore. Um, what are you doing with teams like that where there's so much new stuff? And it's not just them. It's, you know, we can mention Tampa Bay. We can throw um, a variety of other teams. Everything's new in Houston except the quarterback, like, and the head coach who nobody's excited about. Like, what are you doing with teams like that where there's just a lot of moving parts? I, again, I think it's a case-by-case basis because Carolina is a lot different from Tampa Bay, even though, you know, there's new a new offense and a new quarterback in Tampa Bay. You have Tom Brady, you have Bruce Arians, you have guys that have done this. You have a talent uh, at a lot of the skill positions. So I think it's a little different. Um, Carolina, I think it, it really comes down to, you're, you're probably talking about Carolina more from a betting perspective because fantasy-wise, we know what we're doing with Christian McCaffrey. We're drafting him number one. Uh, DJ Moore, I guess there could be some debate about where exactly in that you know, low end wide receiver one, high end wide receiver two tier, he goes, but that's one huge tier. Um, so I think Carolina as a team that is so new, you look at where the market's valuing them and the market already is calling them one of the worst teams in the league. So even though, yes, I think Carolina uh, will probably struggle somewhat, the market's already pricing that in. So I would be yeah. looking to bet Carolina more often than not. Yeah, that would be my default. I'm not saying that would be the right move every week, but just from a kind of default perspective, uh, I'd be looking at that because that's likely where you're going to see the value. For example, uh, you know, Teddy Bridgewater by himself has just been consistently undervalued by the market uh, as a starting quarterback. He is an absurd 28 and seven against the spread. Yeah in his career as a starter. And not to say that's going to continue, but it just kind of goes to show um, what can happen in a situation where you have kind of a a nondescript quarterback, a a nondescript team overall outside of McCaffrey. So uh, I would be looking on a week-to-week basis to see where those lines are for Carolina because I would guess that more often than not, there's going to be value on betting, uh, uh, you know, with Carolina versus betting against them. Yeah, you mentioned uh, you mentioned McCaffrey as obviously the consensus number one, uh, going number one overall in pretty much every format. Uh, we are drafting together in Jake Seeley's Flex League uh, on Monday night. I am actually picking first. I'm not 100% on McCaffrey in this thing. Um, why don't you just give me generally your thoughts in a super flex league like this, right? So we're, we're starting two quarterbacks every week. 
how does that change the way you would normally approach? I mean, I think a lot of us are perfectly happy to stream quarterback in a standard league, in a hometown league, when we only start one quarterback. It's an insanely deep position. Generally speaking, fantasy scoring for the quarterback position is is messed up. Um, it's it like, it, you know, there's a lot of guys who aren't good real-life quarterbacks who are going to score in fantasy. That happens all the time. It's insanely deep. Um, but Superflex changes all that. You've got to have two. You've probably got to get at least one of them early. How do you approach that position? And do you see an argument for one of the big two quarterbacks uh, at number one overall? I think that the Superflex format, so what it, what it does is it essentially equalizes the scoring amongst the four positions somewhat because tight end now is going to be lower scoring. But you look at fantasy scoring uh, for quarterbacks versus the other positions, and what you see is that in like the top 50 PPR scores, there'll be about 25 quarterbacks. So, so yeah, you need quarterbacks, but at the same time, there's still that surplus there, right? Cause there's 20, like Baker Mayfield can outscore like Deandre, like, or let me say 2019 Baker Mayfield can outscore Deandre Hopkins or something like that. So (laughs) (laughs) we got to differentiate between the two Baker Mayfields who are completely different players for some reason, but that's a story for another day. But (laughs) um, I think what I do is I do a kind of a modified late round quarterback approach where it becomes a mid tier quarterback approach. So I'm still usually not chasing Mahomes or Lamar or any of the top two. What I want to do is be one of the last people to draft my first quarterback but one of the first people to draft my second quarterback. So I'm pulling from the tier in, you know, kind of that 10 to 15 range, 10 to 20 range. And, and, you know, you look back at that, that tier these last couple of years and you say, you, you were probably do pretty good because that's the tier Mahomes was in a couple of years ago. That's the tier Lamar Jackson was in last year, along with Dak Prescott and, and Russell Wilson and a bunch of these other guys. So I feel pretty good drafting two kind of mid-tier guys and getting that value there i think that's how you give yourself the upside to to not only have two good starting quarterbacks but two starting quarterbacks that really just smash value because that's what happened with lamar jackson last year it wasn't just that okay he's a top quarterback in fantasy it was that you could draft him in the double digit rounds and 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 if you draft him this year or you draft mahomes you know there this year um yes you're going to in all likelihood get a top 2 top three quarterback, but you're not giving yourself that, that ceiling of smashing value later by, by, you know, however many rounds. And, and so at quarterback, because of that surplus, um, I, I like to give myself that ceiling and I still go after uh, running backs and, and wide receivers earlier when, you know, positions that I know are a little more scarce. Um, but, but I do want to get to from that middle tier. I don't want to wait too long. Okay, well, I'm lo- I'm looking at the middle tier right now. You don't have to tell me. I know we're do- like we're drafting in the same draft tonight. Maybe you don't want to share specific names. I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at the range in that in that ten to like sixteen area. These are these are my ranks. Maybe these aren't consensus ADP or anything. But the names I particularly like here, and, and just give me give me some knee jerk thoughts on these guys. I really like Carson Wentz at that price. Um, I like. Kind of sort of like Jared Goff at that price. I kind of sort of like Daniel Jones at that price. And I don't even know if the market has Joe Burrow in that range, but I really like Joe Burrow. Oh, yeah. You said those are my four guys. <laughs> like Those are more my four guys. Carson Wentz has a, a ton of upside. This has been a guy that you know has played at an MVP level. We are looking at him and saying, hey, his receiving core might be a little bit you know shaky. But in reality, he's got two really good tight ends. He's got a field-stretching wide receiver and Deshaun Jackson, and, an, and another one waiting in the wings, and, and Jalen Rager. So, um, and, and even if they have to play a guy like Greg Ward in the slot, you know, he's a very serviceable slot guy, but they don't need a slot receiver all of the time because they have those two tight ends. Ertz can play in the slot. Um, I'll just say, so, I, thought, I thought Greg Ward was a was a freaking hero last year. Um, right? that, that receiving core was so bad at the end of the season, and Wentz was still viable. Uh, yeah, love Wentz. I think he has tremendous upside. And he, and he can actually run a little bit. It's kind of been up and down with him with the rushing, I think maybe because of, of the injuries, but he can add a little bit on the ground, which I think is so key because you look at the top six, top seven, really, uh, you know, Mahomes, Lamar, Wilson, Dak, Kyler, Watson, and, and Josh Allen. All those guys can run. So if you're taking a quarterback 
and, and you expect to beat some of those guys out, they're going to have to be able to run. So like that ones can do that. Yeah. Daniel Jones had four, uh, three games of four more touchdown passes. He's got a bad defense and he's got, you know, good to um, great pass catchers all around him. You know, either they're very serviceable guys or they're like great for their position, like a Saquon or, or, uh, or Evan Ingram. So um, love Daniel Jones. And then uh, Burrow, I, I mean, he's, if you watch him play football last year, this guy is ridiculously good. I don't know if it translates immediately, but there's no way, there's in no way, shape or form. Um, if I wait on quarterback, do I want to leave without Joe Burrow? Because like this guy is so good. He's going to have a bad defense, just like Daniel Jones. So love that. He, he's, he, was one of, he was the most efficient rushing quarterback in college football, I believe, last year. He's going to add points on the ground. Uh, so it really, you know, really comes down to how good is that that supporting cast in year one? But but I love him. And who was the fourth guy we we talked about? It was oh Jared Goff. Yeah, Jared Goff is. Yeah. you know the Rams threw the most. Uh, what was second most? One of, they were like top three in pass attempts last year. If you look at what they're doing, they're going to continue to throw the football. Uh, you know they they got they they're, they kind of reshaped their offense around the short and intermediate game. You know that's why you saw Tyler Higby take Gerald Everett's spot. Uh, you know, Van Jefferson was drafted as another kind of intermediate pro ready, you know, route runner. So I, I think yeah. they're going to continue to to throw the football and their defense probably won't be as good because Wade Phillips is gone and Wade Phillips is a God. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I, I think, and, and Goff is a guy, he's good. He can put up numbers, you know, it, it's, he's not the greatest real life quarterback. Um, but remember, there'd be no fans in the stand. So he's going to be able to hear Sean McVay in that headset for That's the first 15 call. seconds That's a every call, time. Yeah. Every, even on the road. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 I like all those guys. Uh, but uh, Burrow and Jones especially uh, are the guys I'm targeting because I think they have like a, 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 a that rushing upside. Goff has the least, so um, he's kind of at the bottom of that list for me, but he goes a little later than those guys. So um, if you're in a, like a deep 16, 14, 16 teamer, um, he's a great pick. Yeah, as you were saying, Goff. Goff averaged like 290 passing yards per game last year. Like it was a, the yardage total was still there. The touchdowns were weirdly low. There are reasons for that, but, um, but the yardage was absolutely still there. I think he hit the key points on Burrow too. Really ran the ball well last year and everybody saw him and it was an absolute clinic and it was, it was, if not the greatest college season we've of my lifetime is really close to it. Um, sneaky rushing potential there. Maybe not even sneaky. I mean, it was a big part of his game in, in the biggest games of their season. So really excited about him. I had made a point in writing, I don't know, a couple months ago that if, if we were coming off of a normal off season and, and he just had, you know, he was in the building and he was with coaches and I felt really good about all that. And he wasn't just introducing himself to AJ Green pretty late in the game. I would have been pretty comfortable predicting him to break Andrew Luck's rookie passing record. Like I, I, I just think it's perfectly set up for him. Um, Boyd green, bunch of big targets all over the field. I love Higgins. Um, I love everything about his situation. So I don't need to hype burrow anymore. You're for sure. 100%. It has to be McCaffrey at number one. Can't, can I talk you into Saquon? No, absolutely not. Saquon <laughs> had a game where he, he ran, he ran 13 times for one yard. So no, and I'm a Giants fan, but like, so here's my thing. And I, but I mean, I, I, but okay, I okay. I'll, I'll try to talk you into Saquon at the start then, since you are okay. a Giants fan. Okay, so let's do it. Let's do it. So much of his season, like the, the terrible middle weeks of his season were obviously related to the ankle injury, right? He, he gets back to basically full capacity in December and he is quite suddenly the, the best running back on earth again. I mean, anybody who owned him, anybody who actually made it to the fantasy playoffs with him weeks 15 and 16, when they saw fully operational Saquon Barkley like that was that was 400 yards 400 plus yards over two weeks four or five touchdowns an absolute monster he already has a 2,000 scrimmage yard season to his credit he's already been a 90 catch guy you look at the Panthers we've got the new head coach who is quite reasonably I think talking about maybe not playing Christian McCaffrey every damn snap I thought it was criminally negligent that they let him get 400 touches last year in a season that was totally non-competitive. I don't think it's going to happen this year. I don't think they're going to chase milestones for McCaffrey on, on behalf of McCaffrey this year. Like McCaffrey's a wonderful player and I wouldn't take him past two, but I'm really close with Barkley. I just think Barkley's running style is too boomer bust and you get ugly games and McCaffrey just hasn't had that same issue um, and, and let's keep in mind, McCaffrey's offense was like, if McCaffrey wasn't on his offense last year, that offense would have been like 
so, so bad. I mean, they had the two worst quarterbacks <laughs> in terms of adjusted net yards per pass attempt, which essentially means if you're if you're betting on the Panthers, like their quarterbacks are are, are going to knock them down more than almost like any other team. Um, them and you know, in the Redskins with, with Haskins. But if if you look at McCaffrey last year in PPR, he outscored every other running back. And like these are running backs that played sixteen games included in this sample. He outscored every running back. The number he outscored the number two running back, Aaron Jones. By over 150 points. That's like that's like 10 per week, essentially. Like that is, that's too much of a gap for me to say, like, nah, Christian McCaffrey, he can play less snaps. This is a guy who had a, uh, over a thousand yards on the ground, over a thousand yards receiving. Can Barkley do that? Absolutely. But can Barkley go 13 for one? Absolutely. He he went eight for ten in, in week three. Um and, and if you look at the Miami game and the you know, week 15, 16 fancy playoffs. That's something that people are always going to remember. Um, you know, if they had him, if they didn't have him, they're going to be like, ah, he burned me. But came against Miami and Washington, you know, two teams that you kind of yeah, expect. You kind of expect them to do that again. So, like, I have no problem with Barkley as the RB2 over Zeke. I personally actually like Zeke there. But I think if you're fading McCaffrey, you got to go Michael Thomas. Because you're, like, fading McCaffrey is such a contrarian move that you're essentially fading the running back position and saying – all of these guys are too injury prone. I'm going to take the guy that can, you know, catch 150 balls this year. And, and I think it, it's most viable in PPR, but um, that that's kind of how I'm looking at it. If I'm fading McCaffrey, it's not going to be for another uh, running back. It's going to be for a completely different position because running backs are the most injury prone position. Historically, they tend to miss about a, a half a game to a full game more per year than a wide receiver, uh, than a tight end or, or a quarterback. Do you do you see McCaffrey as a as a tier of one player? I assume you see Thomas perhaps as a tier of one player as well. Yeah, McCaffrey's in his own tier for me. Uh, Thomas is in his own tier of wide receivers, but because of positional scarcity in most leagues, um, the way things are set up with starting lineups, I think that you you d- dive into that RB, you know, that second tier of running backs. So uh, Zeke, Saquon, Kamara, uh, Dalvin Cook, you know, that tier, um, you can draft those guys ahead of Michael Thomas um, because just because it's so important to get a, a, a top tier running back like that. So they, like the, the spot in the draft, I don't want to pick in is, is the middle when I start having to think about, well, I guess now that Clyde Edwards Hilaire is, you know, the guy in KC, it's not as, it's not as hard, but on um, that middle, when we had to start thinking about like Joe Mixon or like another yeah. wide receiver, eh, it's not my favorite spot. Yeah, Mixon, Mixon is really the tough one for me. I, I basically always pivot to another position when I get to Mixon. <laughs> and I said a bunch of nice things about Cincinnati's offense with respect to Joe Burrow, so I should kind of be in on Mixon, but I just that that is the that is the inflection point where I where I just I'm I just end up being out. Well I wanna I wanna get to um the the tweet storm um that made me that made me think, well I gotta get Chris um on the on the podcast because this is great. Um and it was when you um when you went in on Will Fuller as a guy that you want to get in, in pretty much every league or, or where there's, there's just a spot in a draft where Will Fuller makes just perfect sense. Um, and I'm, I'm on board in this, in a, in a couple of respects. Number one, um, I love the player. Um, I love that he's like the one guy in Houston's offense that was around last year and that just knows Deshaun Watson, right? Like, so he's the one guy with rapport. We've already seen his, his best games are like literally some of the best receiving games in the history of the position. We're not like his, his best games aren't like, well, that's pretty good. If he blows up, he gives you 120 yards. No, if he blows up, he gives you 260 yards and 14 catches and three scores. Like when he blows up, it is a massive, you know, tied to one of the great quarterback sort of games. It's phenomenal. But that's not even why I really loved the tweet storm. The reason I loved the tweet storm is because you you were you were speaking of this point in the draft, and I like I don't know what round Fuller goes in. It's like six, seven, somewhere in there. As you had a really good phrase here, and it was it was something in the effect of that is that is where your average drafter really tends to begin screwing up, right? Yeah, <laughs> and, I, and that's what I want you to talk about a little bit. Like what sort of player you're looking for once we get past like the first five, six rounds. Where are you looking? What are you thinking about? And what are you not thinking about that maybe an average drafter becomes obsessed with? Well, yeah, so Will Fuller tends to go in round seven or, or even later. Um, and I think that part of the drafts where the one thing you, you cannot think about is risk. 
like risk doesn't matter at, at that point in your draft. In the first five or six rounds, that is where you're going to see players who have, you know, quote unquote high floors, guys with with established track records, guys that are in, you know, entrenched in in, in roles that we've that, that we can kind of know what to expect. And then there's a pretty quick drop off, but that also is the point where your starting lineup should be filled. You know, if you're kind of following the correct draft strategy, you almost should never be taking a quarterback in, in, the, in those first six rounds. You know, there, there can be exceptions, but even, even so, you're, you should have your starting lineup basically filled. You should have, you know, three receivers. You should have a couple of running backs. Maybe you have a tight end. Maybe you have a quarterback. Maybe you just have more, more running backs or receivers. But either way, you should have those main positions that are scarce filled out. So now you're in the seventh, eighth, ninth round. Your risk doesn't matter. You need weak winners. You don't, you don't need yeah. a guy that you can pencil in for, you know, three to four catches for, for 40 to 50 yards every week. And, and you're confident that he's going to do that every week. And so you draft like four of those guys. There's enough of those guys to go around. And there's enough of those guys that one of them will drop. I mean, like Golden Tate and Jamison Crowder go like, you know, two or three rounds apart. What's the difference between between yeah. them? Right. So, so I'm saying that you need to get focused on weak winners, guys that like you may not even start them every week. Fuller, he may give you 11 healthy games. You, you know, I fully admit this, but those 11 games may, may be the best 11 games that you could have gotten after round six in the entire draft. Um, because, <laughs> because Will Fuller, if you look at, you know, just the player, as you, as you mentioned, um, you know, this is a guy who, you know, went, 14 for 217 and three touchdowns in a game last year. There's a guy who, yes, he, he left some games early with injury, but his median percentage of routes per drop back, uh, you know, in a game last year was 95%. So that shows that, you know, if he's healthy, he's going to be in there every snap. He averaged four and a half uh, receptions per game over the last two years, even with Hopkins there. That's a pretty big number um, for a wide receiver. Um, you know, if that's not a number one guy. Uh, and he aver- he's averaged uh, 0.5 or half a touchdown per game uh, since Watson was drafted. So there's not too many guys, you know, from round seven on that you can get and have that kind of upset that um, will probably like will Ford should be their number one receiver. I know Brandon cooks is there, yep. but he doesn't have the rapport. He's not as good of a player. There's just not as much um, kind of leading you to say Brandon cooks is going to overtake Fuller, who you know, who's been there as that number one guy. So, you know, you, it's hard to do that. I think, you know, Henry Ruggs, Nicole Hardman, those are some other guys that I think you look at, you say they have, they have that kind of upside perhaps, but we haven't seen it out of them yet. We've seen it out of Fuller. So those are the kind of guys you want to target once your starting lineup is filled. Like you don't need to say, well, Fuller's going to miss, he always misses games. He could miss half the season. If he gives you like eight games, uh, you know, seven, eight games of, uh, you know, wide receiver one, two production at the spot you're drafting them. That that's golden because most people are going to get a whole bunch of wide receiver three production or, or less, uh, you know, from that point on. So you know, that that's the point in the draft where a lot of people start messing up. They start trying to, yeah. they're still in this kind of, I can predict everything. They don't realize that the projections are, are starting to have more variance. There's more fallibility. You're going to be wrong more often. The bus rates are higher. Uh, there's no point in trying to play it safe. Uh, once you have your starters filled out, you, you, if your starters go down, what is what is going to help you? If you're if your guy that you drafted in round one went down, having a bunch of guys that are going to only equal, equate to like wide receiver threes on their best days or or have like a bunch of lottery tickets that all have wide receiver one upside that even if only like one out of three hits, you know, that's what you have a bench for. So um, I think people have to be you have to quickly pivot like from. Uh, you know, not blowing it in the first, you know, five to six rounds to swinging for the fences once your once your starters at, at running back and receiver are filled out. Oh man, there's there's just a lot of gospel there. Like that's a that's a lot of that's like five minutes of of pure truth that you just gave us. Um, I agree with I agree with all of that philosophically. That is absolutely the way people need to proceed. I, I'll add that the one thing that you often see, um, you know, just like a local hometown draft, that is the point where people start, instead of thinking, what if things go right with a player? Like, what is the best possible scenario for a player that I'm getting in the seventh, eighth, ninth, 10th round? Um, instead, they start thinking, okay, I've got my starting lineup. When are their bye weeks? I'll start to plan for their bye weeks, which is the 
like this maybe the single stupidest thing that you can do in all of fantasy because making long-term plans in the NFL, particularly long-term plans in a season that they intend to play during a pandemic, like, right? You can't make plans 10 weeks down the road in the NFL and you are far better off just saying, what if this guy pops? Like after, after those first six, seven rounds, after you've got your running backs and your wide receivers sketched in, I just completely agree. You have to start thinking about like, what if everything goes right in this scenario? What does it look like? What, what is it? And, and to your point, it's fine if that only hits, I don't know, seven, eight times during the year. If they're fully, if Will Fuller is fully healthy for 12 out of 16 games, that's awesome. And those, I mean, he can average, he can average a hundred yards per week in those games. And they're going to be, you know, there's going to be some volatility to it, but you're going to have, you're going to have three games in which he just almost single-handedly wins you a week. I think people are overconfident in their starting lineups and they're like, oh, you know, yeah. I got my starters. And, and now they, they, they feel like they're just kind of playing with house money and, or not. They're not they don't feel like they're playing with house money. They feel like they just have to kind of protect that, you know, false weed that they built. Where in reality, it's like, think about it. If you're in a 10 team league, uh, let's say everyone's pretty equal. Um, or even if you think you're the best person in that 10 man league by default, you have a 10% chance of winning. You know, in a 12-team league, you have an 8% chance. You know, if you're the best person, maybe that goes up a few percentage points, but your your odds of winning are still pretty low. And so you need players that, like, if you're going to if you're gonna have, like, a roughly a 10% chance to, uh, to win your league, you need players in the top 10 percentile, you know, and, and you need yeah. players that can get there. And there's only a few guys, you know, there may be, like, one per round outside those top six guys you know, rounds that are really going to make a difference. I mean, last year, you know, you could count on one hand the receivers you could have gotten after, you know, the first three rounds that made a difference. It was like DJ Chark, AJ Brown, Terry McLaurin, uh, maybe Deontay Johnson. Um, if you kind of picked them up, but like, you know, that's it. There's not a lot of guys um, that you that's, can Most get. of them you didn't even need to draft. Like the, right, everybody right. you just and, mentioned, you didn't even need to draft. Did. Like if you, if you did draft them, you know, that's the point. Like, you got to find these guys one way or another because even the same thing, like, people talk like, hey, well, I can always pick a running back up off the waiver wire. Well, no, you can't because everyone else is going to be trying to pick them up too. So, yeah. like, if you can if you can draft these guys instead and be ahead of that curve, um, because, again, if you can afford to hold these guys, stash these guys for a week or two because your starting lineup shouldn't, like, just bomb out <laughs> after week one, right? Like, no one, everyone shouldn't be injured after week one or two. So you can <laughs> afford to wait like a week or two on guys like that. Like if you, if you kind of draft a, a rookie who you think has a lot of potential, you don't, you can kind of afford that. But, but the point is to find these few guys and identify them. The ones that have that, that league winning upside. Um, and they're not all as hard as like a DJ Chark last year. Like, I think some are pretty obvious. I think Fuller's obvious. Uh, I think yeah. Henry Ruggs is pretty obvious. I think Nicole Hardman's pretty obvious. All of those guys are going outside the top you know, 30 wide receivers. No, it's a good call. One of the things that I always encourage people to do is look back at, like I, I've done this a couple times with teams I had that won leagues last year. Like look at your draft from a league winner last season. And you may like, you, you might think to yourself, well, I probably, I probably really knocked that draft out of the park. I probably nailed every pick. Basically the leagues that I won last year, I nailed Lamar Jackson and I nailed Andrews and I nailed, like I need like three guys, I, but there are some hilariously bad picks on league winning rosters that won like 13 games and dominated. But like a significant portion of your draft is, is just going to be misses. And that's fine. Um, you should take big swings outside those first six, seven rounds. So anyway, love that perspective. I want to talk about somebody here who is probably not in any way a league winner. Um, I had just listened to a podcast that you did with Silva uh, our mutual friend Evan Silva, and it was a it was a quarterback preview pod. I think we're going to do a quarterback preview pod here uh, a couple weeks down the road. But I just wanted to get your quick takes on a couple guys. Um, these are both situations that I that I really agreed with. Aaron Rodgers right now is is the QB twelve in uh, in Yahoo leagues in an average Yahoo draft. He's he's the QB twelve. I know he's not that high for you. He's he's the QB eighteen on my board. It's been like each of the last three years, um, I think his single season touchdown high is 26. It has been six years since he has averaged more than, I think, 7.7 yards per attempt. Like he has been a pretty ordinary quarterback um, over the last four or five years. It is a 
really sketchy receiving core, especially outside of Adams. Um, just your thoughts generally on Aaron Rodgers and the idea of drafting him as a QB one. He's washed. He's washed. He's a, he's a, <laughs> he's a conservative washed quarterback. Who's going to, he's going to have a good interception rate. We're not taking that away from him. Um, but his interception rate, you know, some people will point to it as like, Aaron Rodgers isn't washed. Look at his interception rate. And, and ironically, that's the reason why he is not very good anymore. He's too conservative. He's not taking chances with the football. Um, he's not making those outer structure plays, he, uh, breaking the pocket and going down the field. And he cannot be a, a strong four man rush where the defense drops seven back in, pa- in, in, in yeah. uh, you know, in coverage. And, and like I was generally on an island last year. Um, I was hard backing San Francisco in both games against Green Bay. I was like, Green Bay is going to have no chance in these games because Aaron Rodgers can't beat a four-man rush. Um, and, and that wasn't really that kind of the, the popular decision at the time. But you look back on it and, it, and it happened twice. And it's like the second time, I think, was so evident uh, of Aaron Rodgers' struggles when they played San Francisco. And it's like you had that first game where San Francisco trucked them. They couldn't block. They, he had no time to, to get the ball out. And they had all the time to prepare. They can't do the same thing again. And they did the exact same thing again. And, and Aaron Rodgers yeah. had no answer for it. And this is what, and, and the, the, the franchise doesn't help him. The franchise is not helping him. That's why I say there's a disconnect between the coach on the sidelines and, and the guys, you know, the GM, because there's no way you come out of this draft without a receiver. You know, I don't care how many H backs oh. and, 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 and two down, you know, big guy, running backs you want to draft. Like, I don't care how many quarterbacks of the future you want to draft. There's no excuse for coming out there. <laughs> without a receiver. So, you know, it, it's just going to be a, a struggle for him. And that low interception rate is not, is only going to go so far in fantasy because it's not actually getting you points. It, it's just, he's going to project a little higher than some guys um, in, you know, maybe in his, in his tier, just because the, you know, interceptions are usually minus two, but at the end of the day, Aaron Rodgers, you know, like a third of his production came against the Giants and the Raiders last year. He had these two yeah. huge games. Uh, those are the two essentially worst pass defenses in the league. You know, maybe throw a couple other teams in there, but two bottom five defenses. Uh, yeah, you know, ne- nearly all, like nearly all fantasy leagues, interceptions are nothing. They're a non-event. They're yeah. a non-factor. They're like either a minus one or a minus two, which is just nothing within the within the scope of a season for a quarterback. Yeah. So he's just my thing is just don't draft. And I was saying this before uh, last season. Don't draft based on the name value. He's not even giving us a, enough on the ground like he used to, because that used yeah. to kind of be the, the thing that, okay, you know, he'll give us more, he'll give us something on the ground. This is a guy who, I'll put it this way, you know, even if you're not familiar with, with stats, like hardcore, you know that like the league average yards per attempt for a quarterback is about seven and a half, a little under. Aaron Rodgers averaged under six yards per attempt over the second half of last season. And that was with Devontae Adams back. So it just don't. Don't do it. Yeah, his last, in fact, I'm looking at his last five years, uh, yards per attempt, 6.7, 7.3, 7.0, 7.4, That's a, like, and some of this is context. Some of this is his receiving core, which is, you know, outside of Devontae Adams, who's great. Everybody knows he's great. Um, but outside of Adams, that's maybe not even a current SEC quality receiving core, right? Like, it is really poor outside of the number one. Um, so he doesn't get a lot of help there. I'm a diehard Bears fan hating the Packers. I like, I don't wish their franchise well, but it still broke my heart that they didn't draft like T Higgins or similar um, when they had a shot at, at building around Aaron Rodgers for the final years of his, uh, of his, it may mean he's not even in his prime anymore, but like the final years in which Aaron Rodgers can be a viable, like take you deep in the playoffs sort of quarterback. So really unfortunate. I don't understand drafting him as a QB one at all. Like I, I can't make a case that Aaron Rodgers, other than, you know, maybe Aaron Rodgers stays healthy for 16 games and the rest of the league doesn't. I find it very difficult to make a case for him as a, as a plausible top 10 quarterback this year. I just don't see it. And as, as you say, the, the rushing upside is just not what it was when he was, you know, 28, 29, 30 years old. It's, it's just not there anymore. And the other, the other quarterback I want to talk about, like, I have a lot of problems with, like, I've got Josh Allen ranked exactly where he goes, which is, which is QB seven. He, for me, is where there's just a huge disconnect between, between fantasy and reality and, and the way that we score. Because I, like, you may disagree with this. I felt like coming into this season, the Bills just had one glaring, obvious need 
on a roster that is loaded everywhere. They like they need a quarterback. I, I don't think I don't think Josh Allen is that guy. I totally understand. I like I understand the argument for betting Josh Allen like as a prop as an MVP. Like I get it. He's like fifty to one. There could develop a narrative around Josh Allen if Buffalo does as well as we think Buffalo can do because they do everything else really well. I mean, I think he's terrible. Um, I, I thought he was like coming into the league. I thought he was. I thought it was one of the worst. Um, it was some of the worst tape I've ever seen of somebody who was supposed to go in the first half of the first round. I thought it was bad. I, I, I find him agonizingly bad. I can't imagine thinking that you're going to ever get past the chiefs with Josh Allen as your quarterback. I don't like you're going to get in a game eventually where you have to score 30 points. And I just don't think Josh Allen can get you there. Um, nonetheless, I have him as my QB seven in fantasy because he can give you 90 rushing yards against anybody. He's got a huge rushing upside. Obviously, the receiving core is good. I don't know if it's good enough that it can save a quarterback who's not even of NFL starting caliber. But I don't know. Where are you at on Josh Allen? I think you're actually a little lower on him than I am. So the thing with Josh Allen is he's so polarizing, as we can see. Like on on the podcast that you referenced with, with Silva, I was like the voice of reason because you had Silva saying he, he's got him ranked fourth. And uh and I think Sean Corner, the odds maker, uh, you know, another one of the, the top rankers in the industry over there at the Action Network, he had him ranked eleventh, and I'm like, nah, I actually have him seventh. Where he's going? I, so, um, but but here's the thing with Josh Allen. I think I, I I would disagree that I don't think he's a quote unquote bad quarterback. I think he is. He has the kind of tools that uh, a modern day quarterback um, has to succeed. Like you don't need to have this top end accuracy anymore because the entire league is hitting passes at like a 65% clip, you know, like accuracy isn't, it's not differentiating quarterbacks as much anymore because with these spread offenses, with the way that the rules have changed, um, every quarterback is going is above 60% pretty much. And not, you know, I mean, most, not Josh. Not Josh. Yeah. But, but, but okay. But here, and, I, and I'll get to that. So Josh Allen, you look at him and, and the thing that stands out, you know, 58.8% completion percentage uh, in 2019, 52.8 in his rookie year. The, the rookie year was flat out bad. Last year, yeah, still one of the lowest in the league. But do you look at some of the factors or uh, circumstances around him? Number one, uh, a lot of his passes in his career to this point, uh, or a good amount, have gone to Zay Jones. Zay Jones <laughs> might be the worst. Like He might be the worst receiver employed in the National Football League. Zay Jones is a guy who... Just his his numbers with every quarterback are abysmal, and you look at yeah. Allen to Jones, and 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 it's under fifty percent, and the yards per attempt is just awful. Uh, and then you look at last year, and, and Josh Allen, we know for for all his flaws, you know, not as accurate as you want him to be. One one thing he does have is an arm; he can throw the ball down the field. So last year, Buffalo has this receiving core outside of John Brown, who was a great get by the way, but with, with Cole Beasley who's not a guy that goes down the field. Uh, they have Isaiah McKenzie, special teamer, Robert Foster, kind of a you know guy with some upside, but never has really gotten it together. Um, kind of a fifth receiver type. And, uh, and, and you have like Duke Williams, all these guys. So to everyone but John Brown at wide receiver on deep throws 20 yards or more, Josh Allen goes three of 27. Uh, like you replace that with Stefan Diggs, who had about the same number of targets and wed the league in deep yardage, wed the league in deep touchdowns. That can make all of the difference because we're talking about such a high volatility type of throw that like Stefan Diggs was literally 600 yards better than than these guys that, that Allen was throwing to last year. So that was a key move. And I think that Allen, you know, combine that with his rushing upside. I, I don't think the touchdowns will will hold because the, you know, the yardage for quarterbacks, very sticky year to year. Um, but, but touchdown still, still a bit unpredictable, but overall, I think Josh Allen has the tools that you, that you can win with in this day and age, especially with the kind of defense they have in Buffalo in fantasy. I think he deserves to be the number seven quarterback because he's proven it. Uh, you know, he, he's kind of done it. Whereas Jones, uh, who I have, I have Jones and Burrow rank eight, nine. So that, that kind of shows you how high I am on them. but. Josh Allen, we've already seen him do it. Now, the one thing I will say about Josh Allen is, and Stephon Diggs could change this, Josh Allen has never had a 300-yard passing game. <laughs> yeah, so... Which, uh, which is, I think last year didn't even have a 270-yard passing game, if I'm not mistaken. In his career, yeah. That's his first yeah. career. Because in, in, in the uh, rookie, his rookie year, 2018, he was even lower. 
So yeah, he doesn't he doesn't he hasn't thrown for a lot of yards. But again, you look at the guys that he's throwing to, especially on the passes that would in theory pick up the most yardage, which are down the field throws that he can uh he, he can make. And he he's had just a motley crew of, of, of weirdos that he's throwing to. So let's see how he looks with Stephon Diggs. I would venture to bet that. He'll have his first 300-yard game this year um, <laughs> with Diggs. I would venture to bet that, um, you know, he's uh, – MVP, I doubt it because I think he's not going to put up enough numbers just because Buffalo's defense is so good uh, to, to, to win the MVP. Like, yeah. I, think, I, th- I, think, I think they do have it from the perspective of usually need to win a lot of games, but I just don't see him winning it over the other teams that I think, you know, could win a lot of games. So um, th- that's where I am with him. But, but, yeah, no, I think he should be the quarterback seven, so I'm with you. I do think he's a better quarterback than you do. Um, I, I think a lot of it has had to do with just the 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 bottom tier receiving core that that he started his career with. Oh, I think he's just the roughest watch. I think like there's just he's one of those guys where there's just three head scratching plays per game, and sometimes they don't result in giveaways, but they often result in giveaways. Um, and he's got like he's got to find a way to shake that. Um, if he can, <laughs> if he can, then I can really imagine them making a deep season run because again they have everything else give me before i before i have to wrap this up give me a give me a full season projection for stefan Diggs because i think i think that's one of the most interesting player movement situations in the league obviously he's you know he's he's the number one or the 1a wherever he goes um he is a wonderful talent he's like a uh, already in the reception perception hall of fame i think Harmon um, could filibuster on him but like this is a rough this is a rough landing spot for any receiver can you get to a thousand yards with Josh Allen? I have him under that, so I have him kind of in that uh, you know wide receiver twenty five to to thirty range. You know, kind of one of those lower end number one guys for their teams. Um, yeah, I have him around yeah. nine hundred yards. Uh, I have him catching about you know four balls a game, but yeah, it's it's not going to be I think a high volume year for Diggs, but he was you know top what was he top two in, in yards per route run last season? Um, yeah. And he did a lot of damage on his deep ball. So he has a lot of volatility built into his projection. Uh, and, and remember he did all this in last year with under a hundred targets in Minnesota. And, and I know it, it, like part of it is like, yeah, he should regress efficiency wise, but it just shows you how good of a receiver he is. So not a guy that I think you take over guys with, a, a, you know, kind of higher volume upside, going in in that in that range like i, I like ty hilton more even though he's getting a little older uh even Devonte parker guys like that uh, i'm still taking over him but i think as a real football player and, and for what he does to josh allen i think he actually adds even more in fantasy it's kind of a wash because you're going from like a low target situation low volume situation where he had a like post weed best efficiency numbers um to another very similar situation uh, with a quarterback he's not as familiar with so uh, it's kind of a, a lateral move or maybe even a downgrade in fantasy. But what he brings to, to Allen, I think, raises Allen's ceiling, raises Allen's floor, um, and makes the Bills dangerous in that AFC East. And I will say this. I think AFC East, if, it, if like people are assuming Cam Newton was brought in to be the starter, I don't know, because he wasn't signed until you know, early July. Yeah. Josh Allen, right now, I, from what we've seen out of Cam Newton these last couple years, Josh Allen right now, to me, is better than what Cam Newton will be this year for the Patriots. Like, he is what Cam Newton, he's not as good as Cam Newton used to be, obviously, but he's what I think people think Cam Newton's still going to be that kind of player. And I just don't know if he is on the other side of 30. Uh, is a guy who, he didn't, who hasn't rushed for more than, who hasn't rushed for positive yardage in like, you know, two years now. So, uh, is, it, is yeah. it a crazy hot take if I tell you that I think the Miami Dolphins have the two best quarterbacks in that division? <laughs> uh, probably not man i mean fitz yo chan gailey that's another thing to keep in mind for fantasy chan gailey has had fits on his, yeah. his 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 teams like the last three times he's been an oc and um the offenses have been very kind of particular they've featured you know fitz has played pretty much all the games uh they've featured like wide receiver heavy tight ends haven't been featured as much they've had like this one two combination at running back kind of like uh you know first guy gets like 17 to, to 19 touches second guy gets eight to 10 like think forte and powell or ivory and powell um fred jackson and spiller <laughs> so like those like i think jordan howard is undervalued i think brita is undervalued 
Um, Gesicki, you don't, we don't know. He could be a little overvalued unless they're going to use him as the slot instead of like the yeah. much true tight end. So um, that's something to keep in mind too for fantasy is that we have a very good sample of Gailey with Fitzpatrick. So I don't know if Tua starts like, you know, more games than Fitz this year. He They might just roll with Fitz all year. Oh, the Fitz games are going to be really good this year. Yeah. <laughs> So it turns out that you're as fun to talk to sober, actually, as you are um, really, really late night at, at the bar. And uh, and the takes don't get that much less hot. So um, it was great catching up with you, man. Really appreciate that you jumped on the podcast. Um, again, Chris Raybon on Twitter, at Chris Raybon, R-A-Y-B-O-N. Uh, anything we need to plug? Anything you got coming up? Uh, yeah. So uh, for those interested um, in NBA, um, you know, check the NBA app first. We'll be doing a you know, live betcast for a couple games over the next uh, couple weeks and uh, our rankings, all that good stuff, actionnetwork.com, fantasy tool, um, help you uh, j- just kill your draft. Um, you're going to have our, my projections, Sean Corners, Matthew Friedman's, and uh, yeah, keep listening to the, the, the fantasy flex pod and uh, check me on Twitter at Chris Raybon and yeah, that's it. Yeah, well, it's awesome uh, that you were able to join us again today. Please uh, check out the Action Network podcast. Also, uh, for some fantasy baseball action uh, in what is an absolutely insane uh, pandemic-marred season, uh, check out Scott Pianowski on the Yahoo Fantasy Baseball podcast, where I will occasionally drop in and make an appearance. Check out the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast, of course, with Therese Paler and Charles Robinson. Check out the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Wetzel, with Thamel, with Pat Forty from SI. Follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I am at Andy Barons. Thanks, as always, to our producer, Brett Rader. Thanks again to Chris Raybon. Tomorrow, you're going to get Matt Harmon joined by JJ Zacharyson from FanDuel. Until then, we are out. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. We're the hosts of Skullduggery, a podcast that not only breaks down the news, but also breaks news. We deliver authoritative analysis while drawing intriguing historical parallels from our decades of covering D.C. scandals. With our current focus on the president and his administration's handling of the coronavirus, to the 2020 elections, we interview those helping to shape the stories. So subscribe to and download Skullduggery wherever you listen to your podcast and be sure to follow us on social media at skullduggerypod